When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? I'm Sai, and welcome to Podcast Nation, where you can find podcasts, interviews, and content on a variety of subjects, including football, mental health, films, TV, wrestling, music, and a whole lot more. Today's show is predominantly uh, football. My guest today is Ben from the podcast View from the Ninian, uh, one of the first podcasts which for Cardiff City, I believe, or if not the first, certainly one of the earlier ones, is not a great deal around, unfortunately, for Cardiff. But cheers for coming on, Ben. I appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me. So, uh, yeah, we're predominantly going to talk about Cardiff, being as we're both uh, Cardiff boys. <laughs> Um, yeah. So if I touch just before we hit the football stuff, so obviously, like I mentioned, you've got um, the View from Ninian uh, podcast. How did yeah. that? Uh, how did that come about, or how did it get started? Yeah. So um, God, it, it feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, <clears throat> me and um, I was in I was in university in in the University of South Wales or the University of Glamorgan, as it was known back then, doing a kind of creative writing and radio course. Um, me and um, a friend Adam got involved in helping to produce the Cardiff City phone-in, which was a show that went out, goes out on GTFM <clears throat> and a few other kind of radio stations across South Wales. And at that point, there wasn't really much kind of, there weren't really many radio shows, podcasts, and much audio content around for, for Cardiff fans. And me and Adam had the idea to start the, the View from Ninian, or what was the View from the Ninian back then as a, as a podcast. Um, I think we did our first one nine years ago now. Um, back in 2010, uh, under that Dave Jones season, um, when we had, I think, Bellamy, um, Chopra, Bothroyd, all those players were there, um, the, the glory years. Um, and we start, it started from there, basically. And it's, uh, it's kind of morphed into um, a podcast and a, a website now where we've got sort of eight or nine writers um, producing interviews, content, match reports, previews, and anything in between about all things Cardiff City. Yeah, I think um, I was going to say it's grown because um, obviously, like I've followed you on Twitter for a while um, yeah. and I've interacted on and off over the years, over, generally over Cardiff. And um, obviously, when, like you say, when you first sort of started, it was the, the glory years, which never quite got to the glory. We all yeah. seem to fail at the last post. Um, yeah. But like you say, it's grown from just a, like an audio podcast, really, wasn't it? To, yeah. I, I was looking at the website earlier. This, you know, you've had some big interviews as well, big guests on there. Like, I noticed you've had a couple of the more, even the, um, you know, current players on there yeah. as well. Which, um, I think it says a lot about the reputation you've got in terms of, uh, you know, as a podcast and a website, because yeah. I think clubs are not always quick to uh, allow their players to, you know, just to do sort of podcasts and stuff. No. They want them on the BBC or Sky and. 
Yeah, I think I think we've we've got to pay you know give a, a lot lot of credit to the club for doing that really because I think when when we approached them at the start of the season, I think all we wanted to do was kind of just give them a heads up and say we're not here to kind of ruffle feathers. We're here just to you know we you know I think we'll ordinarily we'll ruffle ruffle feathers if we're critical of a player or if we're you know if we're honest in our opinions, but we're not we're not trying to upset the club basically is what we said, and I think they were very forthcoming. I think so far this season we've had Lee Peltier. Um, I spoke to Sean Morrison earlier this year, which was brilliant, and we had Junior Hoyler quite recently. So to get that level of access from a Premier League football club to what is essentially kind of, you know, it's, it's a fan site in essence. And I think we, you know, I, I don't want to undermine what we do because I think we we've got really talented writers and we pull together some really good content. It's just we are, you know, we're not we're not like you say Sky or BBC. Um, so we we have to be quite realistic. And I think we we've just kind of we've got really lucky this year. Yeah, and I mean, I I was thinking about that. Um, earlier was that um, obviously you've got there's loads of fan sites like Arsenal Fan TV and the United Stand and all yeah. these. Obviously, with um, like uh, channels like the United Stand, they've got like I think about half a million followers. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a bigger club and with a worldwide reach. But you, you know, those clubs would never give access to the players no. to those those channels, and I think. Like you say, that says a lot about Cardiff, just that they're willing to do it. So yeah. how did you go about that? Did you just contact just contacted the club and asked basically? Yes, that... yeah. So one of one of our writers, um, this guy called Scott Johnson, he's been writing for Wales Online for a couple of years, well, probably longer than a couple of years. Um, and I think he's just quite friendly with the the media guys at the club. And I think when we when we went about setting it up, which was last summer, we you know we started talking about setting it up and and well not setting it up, kind of bringing it to being a bigger website. Um, I think we just sent an email to the club or sent a text to the media guys and just said, look, this is what we're doing. If there's any way you can help us out with some interviews with some players, let us know. But no worries. If not, we just wanted to let you know that this is going on. And I think from then they just kind of, we opened a dialogue with them. Um, and I think they said we could get basically one player uh, every sort of three months, one one a quarter. And that's kind of what it's transpired to. Um, and, I, you know, like I said, they they've been more than brilliant with us. And I think like you say, I think you know you watch Arsenal fan TV, and I think there's there's probably no surprise that the Arsenal don't want to let yeah. their let their players um, speak to those guys. I've actually met a few of those guys. I've met Robbie and a few others um, yeah. who do some some stuff with Channel Four, and Robbie's a really nice guy. But I think some of the people they get on Arsenal fan TV are just they're too dramatic for their own good, really. Um, yeah, I think it's it's almost become a car- caricature of itself, hasn't it? And oh, I absolutely. Think, I think they've almost it's almost become this this gimmick where they get certain guys on who are going to be loud and obnoxious yeah. and criticise the team. And I suppose like people from other clubs tune in to watch Arsenal fan TV. And I dare say that they probably get, as a channel, like which is based on one team, I would dare say they get more fans from other clubs yeah. than many the other, other, uh, other sides, simply because people watch it for the meltdown. especially. You know, towards the end of it, uh, Wenger's uh, oh, run, yeah. it was almost like a running joke, wasn't it? It's was like, as the game was coming to an end, it was, uh, you know, let's hop on Arsenal fan TV and see yeah. what see them lose their heads. But And I mean, I, yeah, think, you know, I think, I was going to say, credit, I think credit to the guy who runs it, Robbie, the guy who started it. I, when I, I've spoken to him about the kind of work he puts into it. And you think he doesn't do a lot, but like he was saying that on, they do, on a Thursday night game when they played Carabag, he says that he would get to the ground about five o'clock. He wouldn't finish editing up the videos and putting it out there until three, four in the morning. And he's there the whole time kind of interviewing people and that kind of thing. And I think 
he he you know he's done really well to craft that product out of it. But like you're right, I think during and it's the same with the United Stand TV is always oh, that that guy's name Mark Goldbridge or whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, the guy who's. <sighs> I mean, I don't think he's a real person. I think he's kind of like a bit like Alan Partridge. I think he's a bit of an act. Um, and I think yeah, most, yeah, he's, uh, no one's watching it. Yeah, no one's watching it to go, oh, this guy's got really good insight. They're watching it just to go, here's the moment he breaks and here's the, here's the laugh we can get from this. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting landscape. Oh, definitely. It's, uh, it's a weird, it's strange, you know, with you've got all the, there's so many podcasts and YouTube channels around these days. Yeah. And I mean, the thing which impresses me about the United Stand is the way the graphic, one of the guys who does it with uh, Mark Goldbridge is a graphics designer. Mm-hmm. And um, the graphics which they have up like during their shows, especially on a, like a watch along on a Saturday and stuff, it's really impressive. Like it yeah. looks like you would see on Sky. And I think that type of thing can help. Because if someone comes across you, it's straight away that look yeah. makes you look like a big deal. But um, one thing I, I've noticed, like this is technically my 11th show, but I think it's probably my 13th. Um, and one thing I've noticed is <clears throat> you don't realise how much work people do away from just the, yeah. the interviews and the shows. Like every show which I've doing at the moment, at the moment I'm not doing anything live. I'm recording them and then putting my own tags, either like the start and the end. You know, even that, it only takes a few minutes. But then if you've got, like I recorded, um, <clears throat> we recorded three shows for Marvel the other mm-hmm. day where we reviewed like uh, phase one, phase two and phase three. And I think the whole thing was about an hour and 40 minutes for the three. Yeah. And we divided them up. Well, obviously I had to go and cut them and splice them yeah. and take out the bits. And it took me hours. Um, yeah. So you don't realise that. They just see like a group, two guys or three guys speaking. Yeah. And they think, oh, just done it and put it up it takes a lot of time and then obviously i'm a very very new uh new site new channel new podcast trying to get guests trying to get like you i feel like i'm constantly like looking to share stuff or i'm sure especially on my personal facebook i'm sure people are fed up with me just sharing (laughs) stuff but the only way to to grow yeah exactly and i think you know like you say if you when you're in that new position you have to everything's got to be put on Twitter, everything's got to go on Facebook, everything's got to go on Instagram. Um, I think when I started View from Ninian, we, we, we put it out on a few of the message boards, we would put it out on Twitter, and we would, I took to resorting to direct messaging people on Facebook, being like, can you just listen to this? Can you just check it out? And yeah. to be fair, a few of the people I messaged and messaged back and go, oh, I've already listened to it, really enjoyed it. So, you know, we, I think it was successful. But I think, you know, if you, if you don't do that, like you say, you won't grow and you won't get the, the new listeners and the new viewers and new audience that, that you need. Yeah, I think one of the things I've noticed straight away, and I'm lucky in that, um, like, I was warned by my mate beforehand. He said, look, the first sort of six months to a year is slow. Yeah. And they will feel like you are doing a lot of work for very little, but you've just got to keep sticking at it. So yeah. what I found is the views of our shows have been pretty good. Like we've got a couple of one the Johnny Owen show we did on over two hundred views, and there's a few others on about hundred and eighty and things like that. So, but it's getting the people who are viewing them to subscribe, yeah, and to, to comment and to share. And I think you know it takes time, and I I'm glad that I was prepared for that coming in, so yeah. I haven't become disheartened. And we've picked up a 
few subscribers. Facebook, I found, has started to really gain momentum. It's almost like once you get a few, they seem to... Yeah, it's like a domino grow. effect, isn't it? It's like a domino effect. Once the first few fall, you, you, get, the more, you get more and more. In, and then I, and that's the thing with Facebook, right? The bigger your audience, the bigger your reach because your Facebook promote you a bit more because you've got a bigger reach. So it's just it's like a chicken and egg situation. Yeah, and I think it's, it's similar on YouTube as well. It's like um, the bigger your account becomes, the more you come up at the top of the search, yeah. search engines and the algorithms. So it's just a case of trying to grow it. And I think yeah. like in guests on is a big part of that. So sort of at the moment, I'm relying on people who I either know myself or, excuse me, uh, who know, you know through a friend of a friend or yeah. not. Like yeah. I'd say uh, Johnny Owen on, we recorded with Willie Boland, but we won't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> because that was depressing. And like I got a few guys who I did some of the wrestling podcasts who I'm there coming on and, couple of mates and Hayley um Hayley Evans come on and did the football one and I'm gonna yeah. do some shows with her on uh, on her fee whales uh, oh yeah yeah fight and stuff so I'm hoping that gradually I'll be able to find yeah. actually I've got to be honest I say that I'll be able to gradually and get more guests every single person I've asked if they want to come on has replied and I'd say 90% has said yes I will some of them, obviously, they'll say, like, I will come on, but I don't know when because I'm busy. Yeah. And I have been pleasantly surprised. I've got to say, the ones who haven't replied or the ones who have, haven't agreed to come on in some form are the ones where I've really shot, like, way yeah. over my reach. You've got to so, do it, though, right? You've got to, you've got to shoot for the yeah. moon, these things. Otherwise, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll never get them on. So, like, I'm, like I said uh, to you just before we started, I'm doing a few a new series or a new couple of shows about mental health and sport because the mental health podcasts I've done we've done we did one on ADHD I did mm -hmm. one on depression and grief with a football journalist um Phil Brown and mm -hmm. uh so basically they've done really well and I particularly after the depression when I had or actually the after the ADHD one as well I had a lot of private messages afterwards sort of saying thanks for addressing it thanks for talking about it and that really more than any sort of like or share or sub subscribe or whatever. Yeah. That really meant a, a lot to me because the depression and grief one was hard. It was emotional. Yeah. Talked about some stuff which I've been through. Phil himself has got you know, quite a horrific thing which happened to him with his wife. Um, so, it, you know, it, it was really difficult hour and a bit. Um, so to get those messages afterwards, that meant a lot. Yeah, it shows um, that you, your message is resonating. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the, with the mental health and sport, a couple of footballers or ex-footballers have said they'll come and, you know, they're up for that and hoping to get a, an ex-runner uh, on. And so I've got some, a doctor and some mental health professionals. So I'm hoping that because the message is a positive one, yeah, that people will be more inclined to do it. Um, I think so. I think are are people... Like, with, with stuff like with stuff like that, people want the opportunity to talk about it, and they want to be able to talk about it in a in a kind of safe environment. I think you know if you're doing something like this, it's going to give them that space to to be able to talk through things properly and be a bit more measured than, and and they know that you're not going to misconstrue the, their words, right? Because it's a live thing. You know, you're talking to them live, and you can't edit it like writers might be able to, or write like a journalist might. You know, 
cut a, cut yeah. a quote down and cut something out. And I think that's an important thing. It's been a, a very difficult and long season for Cardiff. Yeah. Um, with everything that's happened, and this, let's be honest, the, the small amount of money that was spent at the start of the season, it was predictable that we were going to be in a relegation battle. Yeah. Um, and I think if you'd said to me in the, after the first game that we'd still be up with a chance, still be in with a chance of staying up three games to go, I'd have taken that every day of the week. Same what do you, what's your overall opinion of the season up to now? Um, I've, you know, I think I've, I've, it's bit, like you say, I, it feels like a really long season. I've not enjoyed uh, a football season as much as I've enjoyed this one for a long time. Um, I've enjoyed, you know, I've gone to a lot of away games, gone to a lot of home games. Um, I've seen us play brilliantly against teams like West Ham, against Chelsea. I've seen us play terribly up at Newcastle. Um, I, I think it's, I honestly think the season's as expected. I think, like you say, when we came into the season, if someone had said you'd be, you know, we've got a really good chance to stay up now. I know Tottenham are playing Brighton now and looks like Tottenham are screwing it up for us. Um, but, you know, we're, we're there with three games to go and we've got a couple of winnable games that could keep us up. And I think any Cardiff fan would have taken that in a heartbeat at the start of the season. I think Fulham, Huddersfield, everyone had them finishing above us, yet you know, we've seen them off already. Um, I think some we've grown into the season. I think that's the one thing I would say is that at the start of this year, I think when we played Bournemouth, when we played Newcastle at home, when we played Huddersfield away, we were a little bit naive in the way we played. We were a little bit nervous. But I think in the second half of the season, the way we played against West Ham, the way we played against Chelsea, the way we played against Bournemouth, the way we played uh, at the weekend against Liverpool, I think we've, we've shown that we can compete at this level. And I think the only thing we're missing is that striker. Um, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the shame, really, that you know, we, we spent a little bit of money in, in the summer I think we thought Bobby Reed was going to be it, but he, I, I, you know, I don't want to say Bobby Reed's disappointed me. I think there's something going on there that we might not be privy to because I think he's, he should be playing more, but he just isn't. Um, and I think if we if we had that striker, then I think we would be, I don't think we'd be out of the woods by now. Yeah, I think we went the the opposite to what we did the last stint in the Premier League, where we spent a fortune. We've gone yeah. completely the opposite. We haven't spent really didn't spend a lot in the summer. No, it was about 30, 30 million quid, wasn't it? It wasn't, it was, yeah, about 30, I think we spent in the end. It's not a lot. The majority of the players that we've got from last, you know, we've had their championship players. Yeah. I think the two which sort of stand out at a slightly different level are Arta and Camarasa. Yeah. Uh, being, you know, you would say their Premier League quality. Yeah. Um, you know, Callum Patterson did an excellent job leading the line yeah. for much of the season, considering he's a defender no. by trade. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's we tried to address it in January, and what happened happened. It's very unfortunate for all concerned. But I feel like we should have done more in the summer from an attacking point of view. Yeah. I think, you know, the first game of the season, we knew that we we needed a goal scorer. That was what we were yeah. lacking. And I, I, I take on board what you say about Bobby Reid, and I agree. I, there must be something going on 
whether he hasn't settled in Cardiff or what yeah. I don't know what it is. I know he's young, but I mean, whenever he's played, he seems to do okay. Yeah. But he just doesn't seem to play. And like Niasa works incredibly hard, but hasn't scored, hasn't looked like scoring really. No. I think that's a big issue for us. And I do think if we had a striker who could have got us 15 goals this year, we'd be safe already. Yeah. I think if you look, I always said this about Burnley at the start of the season, if you look at the strikers they start the season with, it was Sam Vokes, uh, Ashley Barnes, Chris Wood and Matej Vidra. And you think you look at all four of those strikers, you think those four are going to get probably around 10 goals each. I think, you know, it might not have transpired that way because obviously Vokes has left and Vidra has been a bit of a, a bit of a, a failure and they've had a, a bad season. But you think if you've got four strikers like that, yes, they're four, you would say ordinary strikers but they've got goals in them. I think Sam Vokes last year scored around 10 goals. I think Woods um, scored about 10 goals, and I think Barnes scored 8 to 10 goals as well. I, I had a look at the start of the season, I think. And that's been the difference between us and them. You know, Now we're in this real fight at the end of the season, and Burnley were alongside us for a little while as well. But when we played them last week, obviously Woods scored twice. Ashley Barnes gave us the run around, and I think we just don't really have that to fight back with. And I think at the start of the season, we put all our eggs in, basically in Ken's or Hall's basket. And I think... It was unfortunate because he obviously got injured. Um, he started relatively well, got injured. We didn't see him for a while. He came back, scored against Southampton, but we haven't seen him really since. And I think we've just... It's its amazing, really, when you, when you think of it that way, that we didn't have a striker. Then we signed a striker in January and, you know, Salah tragically passed away. And we've, we're still in the fight for the, to stay up. I think it's quite remarkable, really. And it's, it's an unprecedented season on so many levels. And to be in with a fight, I think it's, uh, you know, as much as you would say Warnock should have signed a striker, it's credit to him and the players that they're still in, in with a fight. Yeah, he's, he's done a fantastic job. And, I, you know, it's, it's hard to explain sometimes how good a job he's done. Even when you take up... Really. Yeah, it's just... It's, he, the the thing the way I look at it is that defensive you know don't get me wrong Warnock's made errors I think in selection at some points I think um, when Morrison was injured and he was he sort of came straight back into the side and they yeah. shunted Matter out to the right again I think that caused a bit of an issue yeah uh, and again I think Sam Vokes would have been perfect to play up front. Yeah. With the likes of uh, Mendes Lang and Camarasa and people like this in and around him. But it is what it is, I suppose. But I think they just they got burnt badly with financially from the first season. But yeah. money doesn't necessarily guarantee it. We found out that time, you know, the time we were up and look at Fulham, they spent yeah. fortune and they've struggled. But then you look at Wolves who spent a fortune and have looked every bit the Premier League team for the yeah. majority of the time. I think what will be hard for Wolves is holding on to the players that have made them look so good. Yeah. Uh, I fully expect a host of lads who plays like a holding midfield role for him. Um, Nevers. Yeah. He's I think class. I, I, got a very, I got a feeling United are going to go for him because he's just what they need. Yeah. Energetic. Good passer of the ball. Good on set pieces. Yeah, he's got everything they need. So I got a feeling they're going to spend a fortune. 
But you know, um, I think what Wolves have shown, you know, I think that there was a difference between what Fulham did and what Wolves did. Fulham signed Mitrovic as their main striker, who was good in the Championship, but has never really done it in the Premier League. Well, Wolves brought in that Raul Jimenez um, from Atletico Madrid, I think, and just he's torn this division apart. And he's just, and, and that's what's shown really, like the one thing that a lot of, you know, the one thing that Wolves addressed was the fact they needed a goal scorer of a Premier League level. Because obviously Neves, Bolly, they played from last year, but they were ready to step up. But their goal scorers probably weren't. And I think Jimenez came in and has just shown that that's, that's the power of a, a £30 million striker, really, that they're, they're fighting for Europe. They got to what, the FA Cup semi-final. It's, it's a fantastic season. It's something we should be looking at as a model. Yeah, and I think going back just for uh, United, for an example, I think the reason they've struggled over the last five years is because they just sign they just signing players who are yeah. good instead of signing players that they need to rectify the issues they've got. So similar to Cardiff with a goal scorer, they you've got to sign the players you need in the positions mm. you need who can play the tactics you want to play in the way you want to play. Yeah, in price range as best you can that you want to spend. Um, Fulham didn't do that. No. And I think they paid the price ultimately. And the same with Huddersfield. I think Huddersfield haven't got the quality anywhere that they would have needed to stay up. And I made me laugh. Everyone said, oh, Cardiff will go straight back down. They haven't got the quality, which is true. But I looked at the two squads and I thought, well, I'd take Cardiff's squad over Huddersfield every day of the week. Maybe yeah. by one or two players. I mean, you look at Huddersfield's team and the only player that really stands out is that Aaron Moy in the middle of the pitch. I think he's mm. he kind of pulls their strings a little bit. I think they've got a couple of good strikers like Mounier and I think what's the other, there's another guy, can't remember his name, um, but neither of them got going this season or scored goals. And then I think you look at the players they bought in and they brought in a few young players, kind of, I think it's a guy called Terence Billing um, and a few others who on paper you think, oh, yeah, he's a good young player from Monaco. But if he doesn't settle into the way you want to play in the Premier League, then you're going to struggle. And that's ultimately what happened. And, you know, Fulham's, Fulham's transfer policy last summer was completely scattergun. I think they just, I, I don't know why on the last day of the transfer window, they signed Timothy Fosu Mensah and then they signed that Angisa guy for 30 million quid. And it was kind of it like you've already sense. got midfielders like Kearney and Seri, who you've already signed. You've already got defenders like... Um, Tim Ream and you've got Callum Chambers already in on loan that you don't need to sign these two players just because they're available and then you try and slot them into a team and uh, slot five new players together at the start of the season in front of a brand new goalie who hasn't played for six months or whatever it was because they changed their goalie every game it just that shows that what bad transfer policy can lead to well we you know like you say we we were quite conservative in what we did but we kept that squad together and they've they it's kind of shown now what what was the better policy Definitely. And I think, you know, a big part of it is the morale in the Cardiff squad. You know, they, it's clear that 99.9% of the squad want to play for Warnock. I yep. do think that the, the, the Salah thing made sure that there was no, uh, there was no, dissent, no dissension within the squad. And I know that sounds really horrible, but what I mean is, that brought everyone together. So mm. any prior to that, any sort of players or people who might have been getting a little bit frustrated at the way the team might have been playing or players not getting game time, that all went because everyone pulled together in the right, you know, in the same direction. 
Yeah. Um, but like I say, there's not, you know, that can't be helped. Um, one thing which can be helped, however, is refereeing decisions. <laughs> now, I think refereeing in the Premier League has been terrible for two to three seasons. But the last 18 months has been as bad as I can ever remember. It's yeah. been terrible. And I know people will say, or the decisions even themselves out over a season. And, you know, maybe that's true. But I still feel like the Chelsea game in particular was so important because if those decisions went our way and we got a 1-0 win, that oh. changes the whole the whole perspective. The momentum, the morale, yeah. everything changes. And it's... You come out of that with a three points against Chelsea at home. Every single player on the staff, the ground, the pitch, the players, everyone mm-hmm. believes. Whereas everyone comes off down, frustrated, and yep. they've done you know they've done really well since. I thought the Brighton game was the best game they've played all season. Yeah, it's brilliant that in Brighton. But you know, I, th- um, I think I think you're right. I think um, it goes back to the game against Watford. It goes back to the game we played at Goodison Park against Everton. You know. I think at Watford it was nil nil when um, Josh Murphy gets taken out, and that would have uh, put the, changed the whole game if we'd scored that penalty. In the end, we ended up getting stuffed um, against Everton. It was one nil to Everton, and Greg Cunningham, Craig Gunning, Cunningham, excuse me, gets a nosebleed in the box and goes over. And I think that was a penalty, and that changes that whole perspective of that game as well. And then I think you're right. The Chelsea one was like a dagger to the heart, really, because I mean it wasn't even close. Do you know what I mean? Like I can understand if it was a marginal offside decision, but the guy is two y- yards offside, stood there, and the linesman can see it plain as day, and he doesn't give it. And I think what you're right in what you're saying, that at that point, it, uh, and I think Warnock summed it up after the game, he said they spent three weeks before that game, because there was a three-week gap, practising, clearing out the box, getting the players out, so that you know their, their, defense, their players are left offside. And he was right. So well, what's the point in telling them to do that if the linesman's going to miss the decision? And I think it, it kind of... It kind of shot, you know. It 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 did take the morale away from us, and I think I remember leaving that game and being so disappointed, and just thinking that how, what how are we going to compete in this division if these decisions are going against us? Yeah, and what makes it worse is you've got people like who are like Gary Lineker or people based on match of a day who are sort of mocking it and saying, or it evens itself out. You know, maybe I'd love to see the stats on that one day to see if they do actually even themselves out. I've got a feeling they don't, particularly for teams outside the top six. Yeah. Uh, I mean, off the... game, just the Chelsea game, yeah. changes cards running and the way they approach it changes the way Brighton look at it. It would yeah. put more load of pressure on Burnley, who in the yeah. end, Burnley sort of comfortably managed to have to beat us. But if we go into that Burnley game knowing we've beaten Chelsea and it's it's a different feel to that game completely. Yeah, and I think you, I, you know to address your point about them evening out over a season. I think if 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 off the top of my head, I think of the decisions that might have gone our way. There was the offside the offside goal which we scored against Brighton to win the game, which Bamba was offside from a throw in, which can't be offside. Then it looked like it came off the defender's head to go into his path. So you know that one's very fifty fifty. I think he wasn't offside. Yeah. If there was a penalty against Huddersfield home and away that could have been given and a penalty against Brighton that might have been given um, back down at the, um, 
Amex Stadium. But then if you think of the ones that have gone against us, we've had Everton, we've had Watford, we had Chelsea, we had two or three against Burnley. Um, we had the one on the weekend where, you know, arguably Salah dived. I think it probably was a penalty, but he threw himself to the ground quite easily. And you think that's not going against us the other way. We've had corners all year that Morrison's been manhandled at. And you think there are, what, three games left of the season. How many penalties are we going to be due? Because we've got three games to, you know, even out maybe six or seven bad decisions that have gone against us. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way anymore. I think it, it might well be that five or six years ago, we would get lucky and we would get the decisions go our way. But I just, you, you listen to Swansea fans say it, they went through um, a season last year with it or a couple of years ago where they just didn't get a penalty. Um, you listen to Burnley fans say the same thing last season, they couldn't get a penalty for love nor money. They couldn't get a decision to go their way. And I just, I just do think there's not a bias, but I just think the, the, the better teams are better at conning the referees and, and getting their, getting the decisions to go their way. I do think it's a, if you look at the way Salah went down on, on Sunday for the penalty, yes, you know, Morrison tugged him a little bit, but the way he threw himself to the ground was going to make sure that the referee saw it and had to make a decision. And I think when, in, was it towards the, the start of the second half, I think the ball went into the box and Morrison's shirt got pulled and he still tried to go for the header. And I think if his shirt got pulled, just throw yourself to the ground if that's going to be the case, because then the referee has to do something. He has to either book the player for diving or he has to give a decision. Yeah, Mohamed Salah has been doing it every week for since before Christmas, I think. Yeah. Every week he does a dive. Now, I tend to agree with you in that I think maybe it was a penalty. I'm not 100% convinced. But if the referees were viewing it on an instant-by-instant basis and they were looking at players who were involved in the incident, they should be looking at Salah and thinking, oh, I'm not sure about that. And he throws himself to the floor every time. I've seen a lot yeah. recently. That should factor into the decision. Yeah. And if it's not clear, and it's a player who is known for diving, that's got to be part of the decision. Because so. it's one of those things. Um, well, you know, you judge, you judge players like, you would back in the back in the, the day you would judge Roy Keane because you knew he was a volatile player and therefore his his tackles can be scrutinized more by referees or he's more likely to get booked because you know on more often than not he's probably putting in a robust challenge that's going to cause an injury and you think well that's that doesn't seem to be, become the case with diving in fact you know the argument now is that if if Salah hasn't dived for many of the penalties he's won this season or last season or whatever it is if he doesn't dive then he's not going to get them given and I just think that's it's just, it's just a weird argument that's going on at the moment. And I think, you know, people can't make up their mind as to whether diving is good or bad. And I think ultimately yeah. diving should be seen through the prism of cheating. But should, should, should Cardiff learn from that and become cuter in the way they do things? And I think that's what Warnock's alluded to, right? In a few of his interviews, he said against Burnley when the penalty was given and overturned, he said, you know, Burnley players were three or four in, in the referee's face and none of our players were. And I think that's what I think we're learning about in the Premier League, right? I think we're just learning that we probably need to be a bit more, a bit cleverer. You know, you might say professional defending or, you know, we've, we've professional, the way we play is professional. But I just think we do probably need to be a bit more aggressive in the way we hound a referee or we throw ourselves to the ground. Which yeah, is a weird thing to say. It took the British national teams a long time to catch up with the rest of the world with diving and yeah. making the most of it, going down through a challenge. So, you know, 
I can I can certainly see that point of view, but it is infuriating. I I can understand going down when you're touched. I think I get that because yeah. you want to make sure, like you say, you stay on your feet. You don't get the decision regardless of whether it's a foul or not. Yeah. Whereas it's the ones where they don't get touched whatsoever. That's just cheating to me. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, when they're diving over and there's no contact or they've hung a leg back in the hope that it looks like there's yeah, contact. They, yeah, they, that, that is cheating. That's absolutely cheating. But I just think we're we're in a position now where, you know, everything in football is about those little advantages you can get. And I think if if it takes, you know, someone tugging your shirt and you throw yourself to the ground, as someone has said, it can both be a foul and a dive at the same time because there's contact, he's been tugged, but if he's had to throw himself to the ground for the referee to acknowledge it, then they go hand in hand to some degree. Yeah. I think you're right, though, about like your likes of Roy Keane or Paul Ince or Vieira or whoever. Um, they make the same challenge as like a, I don't know, a Gary Lineker. Exactly yeah. the same challenge. They're both two-footed. Some players get a yellow or red straight away. The other one gets a warning. Yeah. So that's got to be the same for every sort of aspect yeah. of it, I think. Anyway, um, obviously the 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 Tyler stuff was terrible. Um, it was extremely difficult for everyone at the club to get through. Um, like I don't want to go into it too too much to bring stuff down. Um, but without going into stuff about the regarding the fee, which is a bit more recent, which I want to talk about briefly in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel the club dealt with everything uh, that went on in the initial period after, obviously, when he went missing and then going on from there? Um, I think it's... I think to, to caveat the whole thing, I would say that the whole situation for me is so unprecedented that I don't think, you know, I think any football club reacting to it there needs to be some kind of... I don't think they should be judged too harshly for anything in particular. And I, and I, I, don't, think, I don't think the club did anything you know, wrong. I think they reacted in the right way. They were respectful of the family. They were respectful of you know, the news that was going on because I think there was a lot of speculation and a lot of um, people were spreading things on Twitter and there was a lot of people talking about different things, you know, the, what came out of the plane in terms of kind of WhatsApp messages and all that kind of stuff. And I think the club just did the right thing and they kept a relatively dignified silence throughout it all. They, you know, ha- had um, Salah's family to the club. They had the 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 um, the tributes outside the ground and they said that they were, they were waiting to establish the full facts. I think they couldn't have done anything. I, it's, it's weird to say better, but I don't think they could have reacted in any other way, really. And I think they were they were very good in the circumstances. Yeah, I think also, I, for, I think Warnock took it very hard. Um, yeah. And I think, if you think back to December time, when we were first linked with him, straight after we were linked with him, there was a story in one of the papers a couple of days later saying he didn't want to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously he did. So somewhere along the lines, if that both stories are true. Someone's not talked him into it, but he's been convinced that Carter's yeah. the place for him. So if you're part of that team of people who's been convincing him to do it, of course you're going to take it. Yeah. Um, I know I saw an interview with Fabio who had said he had spoken to him 
because he's obviously playing in France as well. Yeah. Um, and he had said he felt, you know, quite upset because he had said, go, it's a lovely city, it's a great club. Yeah. I so just, you can I, imagine. I, 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 I know, I think, and this is what I always come back to, really, that it's just, it, it's, I've never heard of it happening before in football. You know, I think that's, I don't think that's why anyone could really, you know, apart from, well, you know, there's a lot being said around what's going on and who hired the plane and all that kind of stuff. And I think the facts are being established at the moment. But I don't think anyone can have any any kind of responsibility upon that in terms of people like Warnock, Fabio, because it was a transfer. These happen every week, every day in January. They happen every week across the world in terms of players going to different places. And I think it was just the most tragic of accidents. And I think no one could have foreseen that coming, really. And I think that's why, you know, people like, you know, I understand that they, they can feel that responsibility, but I just think it's it's still something I've struggled to get my head around. And I just don't think there's anyone who should be taking more of the blame than anyone else in, at this stage. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Um, so I know people on social media particularly uh, have been very critical, as they have, as they do, uh, mm-hmm. over the past weeks. About over Cardiff's apparent refusal to pay the fee. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my opinion is that it's basically being driven by the insurance companies involved because if there is any sort of dispute or anything which is not correct within mm-hmm. the paper, it's they're not going to pay out for whatever they, the insurance would cover. However, I do think that it's not a great look and that they should probably just pay it. However, I do think that maybe they probably will pay it, but they can't pay it at the moment, but they also can't comment on it. If Does that make sense? I think yeah. they've got to wait for the investigation to finish before they can address it. They can't make a statement. They can't say, we're not paying it at the moment, but we will pay it. And obviously, Nantes want their money. They're not particularly, a, you know, a huge club or a rich club, so they want their sort of money they're owed, if you like. Uh, I, I, I just think, and I think, I think a lot has been said around the nature of, of how Cardiff have dealt with this in terms of they're not paying the money. It's it shows the grubby nature of football and everything else. And I, I just, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think we're in such an unprecedented position. As a football club, and I think not—I think not to be chased by Bordeaux because they're owed fifty percent of the sell-on fee or, or something like that. And I think Nantes want us to pay the money because, quite right, they sold a player to us, and as far as they were aware, the contracts were signed, sealed, and he was a Cardiff City player. But I think what this boils down to really is that it's just—it's two businesses at the end of the day, kind of rutting heads over something like this. And I think. It isn't very nice because at the, at, the, at the root of it all is a footballer who tragically passed away. But I think beyond that, really, it's, it is a business decision and there's going to be a legal case that carries on. And I think Cardiff have done, ultimately have done the right thing by them by saying, we're going to wait for the investigation to be done and then we'll happily pay the money if we have to. Or if, you know, if we're found like, you know, if, we, if, if the, the ruling says that we need to pay the money. But I think if it's... Sadly, and I think this is the, the nature of football, it is a business decision at this stage. And I think it's, it's two businesses working out what happens in, some, in a situation that has never happened before. And I think uh, as much as 
I think Cardiff have been dragged into a bit of a mud mud singing in in the in the public eye. I think it, everyone should have really realised the situation and just kind of taken a step back from it and gone, look, this needs to be sorted out behind closed doors, really, rather than everything being dragged in the public eye. Yeah, and I think there's no um, there's no precedent, is there? There's nothing. It's never happened before. There's nothing similar. So as you can't sort of say, or oh, in this instance yeah. when it happened before, so. You've just got to, they've almost got to let it play out. And I think probably Nantes are putting the pressure on a little bit because they want the money. Yeah. And they know that by putting it in the papers, Cardiff look like the bad guys. Um, <clears throat> so we'll, I guess we'll wait and see with that. Yeah. Obviously, it had a big, big impact on the team and the squad. And I think after those initial couple of games, um, after it happened, you did see a dip. Which was, I think, was to be expected because yeah. you just had a couple of games of pure emotion, and then a couple of games where they were, you know, it's almost like an adrenaline dump um, in like boxing or fighting, where yeah. fighters are so wound up, then when their adrenaline spikes, and then they they lose their legs a bit. Um, do you think? Neil Warnock will retire at the end of the season. I don't. I I've got like a, a bit of a weird, not theory on this, but a, a, a bit of a weird view on this. I think if we stayed up, I, if we stay up, I think he'll quit. I think he'll leave the club as he's kept us up. I don't think he'd have done that in the Premier League before. He would have done what he set out to do at the start of the season, proven everyone wrong, and then he'll go. See you later. I'm on my way out. But I think if we get relegated, he's more likely to stay with the club, really, and get us back up and, and see it out that way. Um, I, I don't really know what the reasoning for that is. I just have this bit of a, a hunch about it. I don't think he'll retire. I think if, if, he, if he left the club, he'd almost be moved upstairs as director of football or, or something like that, or, you know, like an honorary president kind of role, something like that. Um, you know, I, I forget the guy's 70 years old, really. Um, he's... He's you know he he almost retired a couple of years ago and he got kind of convinced to come back in. I think he's the club have fallen in love with him. He's fallen in love with the club a little bit. And I think I, I, if he if he kept us up, that would be the the icing on the cake of his career. I think, and I think he would almost be able, no one would begrudge him if he said, "That's me done. I've done everything there is to do in football at, for for someone of his level and and, and walk away there." But. I, I do think this season has taken it out of him in in more ways than we can imagine. Really, I think he's, you know, he's dealing with the day to day pressures of managing a football club. He's been dealing with stuff that no manager has ever really had to deal with before. Um, and I think he was he was quite dignified throughout the whole thing. Um, and I, I wonder what if he gets the end of the season has a couple of weeks off, what his what his feelings will be at the end of that two weeks. Because I can, you know, I, it's tiring sometimes being a football fan, but being involved on a day-to-day basis as, as Warnock is, I wonder how knackered he must be. Oh, yeah, especially at the age of 70. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I got to say, you what you just said is basically what I think. It Literally, if we stay up, I think he'll go. If we go down, I think he'll stay. Because he's never kept anyone up after getting them promoted. So I think that would be a way he would like to go out, yeah. especially after everything that's happened. I get the impression that he's tired mentally. He's still up yeah. for the fight, but I just think he's been through so much personally this year that I think it's just a case of if they can you know, finish on a high, almost like 
you know, keep them up and go out on a high. Do you think if they stay up, he should be named manager of the year? I think, I think there's a case for it because at the start of the season, you had people like Chris Sutton. You know, we were written off to a... I don't think there was a single journalist who said they thought we would stay up. I don't think there was a single pundit who thought we would stay up. A single pundit who gave us a chance of getting more than a couple of wins and a couple of draws. Whether that's enough to get manager of the season, I don't know, really. Um, and I just don't think it's, it's ever going to really be a consideration, is it? Because you've got... If, you know, if Liverpool win the league, then Jurgen Klopp's delivered what Liverpool have been craving for so long. And therefore... The way that the big clubs are yeah. viewed, that's that's an automatic shoe in. I think he should be in the running. I think a nomination would be basically a victory for a club like us. Um, I just don't, I just don't know who, I don't know the voting process, don't know how it how it goes. But I think he's if if he keeps us up and he he, he does so in a in in the way he's doing it, then yeah, he should be in, he should be in the running. But I don't know if he'll win it. Do yeah, you? I think I think he should win it. But I think if Liverpool win the league, oh God, just the thought of it makes me sad. Um, if yeah, I know what you mean. Liverpool win the league, I think Klopp will win it just because they haven't won the league for so so long. Yeah. But I do think I think what Warnock's done, if he keeps them up, not many other managers could have done on the shoestring no. budget. Everything that's happened, all the decisions that's gone against us, I just think that. You know, I I don't think many other managers could have done the same job. So I do think that he should get it if they keep if they if he keeps us up. I yeah. don't think he will get it, even if he, Liverpool don't win the league. I think it's more likely to go to Pochettino or you know, one of the big clubs. Yeah, but maybe yeah, well, think... maybe maybe a stretch the Wolves manager. I was going to say he. He and, and probably the Watford manager as well. Those two of yeah. you know, if you if you look if you look at the top four in in reality, Liverpool and Man City are the only two managers there who can really lay claim to it. If you look at beyond that, then it's Wolves, Watford, and probably us. Yeah, unless Tottenham win the Champions League. Unless they win the Champions League, of course, which would be incredible. Well, they're not even oh, beating God. Brighton at the moment, so. Yeah. Right. Um, so, in your opinion, who is Cardiff City's Player of the Year? Um, I think it's got to be Victor Camarasa, really. Um, I don't think, you know, I think there's there's a lot of players who've done really well. I think Peltier's done had a really good second half of the season. I think Art has done well. I think, um, I mean, Josh Murphy started well, has faded away a little bit. I think Bamba did really well until his injury. Patterson did really well until his injury. But I think ultimately Camarasa has been our most consistent player. You know, from he scored our first Premier League goal back against Arsenal. He, has, I think, he's got about five goals, five assists, something like that. He's scored important goals against Chelsea. He scored against Leicester. Um, I, I think without him, we'd be uh, would have been dead and buried a long time ago. So I think it is it, he's my only choice, really, Camarasa. Yeah, I think him or Etheridge. Yeah, Etheridge as well. I always forget Etheridge. Yeah, yeah, he's been um, class. And without again, without him, we'd be down already. I think. You know, he saved, I think it was six penalties this year. He saved, yeah. You know, I remember the, 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 that one against Newcastle when we were, what, 94th minute or whatever it was, and the one against Leicester, which we wouldn't have won the game without. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those two, really. Yeah. What about, uh, like, a young young player of the year? Anyone spring to mind there? 
Um, I don't know if he counts as young anymore. Um, I quite like. I think I I like Joe Ralph for all his for all his detractors. I think he's he gets a bad rap, but I think he's a good player. I think he against um, what was the game recently against Brighton on Tuesday? He was brilliant. Um, he I just think he does the simple things really well, and I think in a in a league where you need a calm head, sometimes he's a calm head when when others around him are kind of losing it. I think. We'll, we'd look back at the Tottenham game where he got himself sent off and people will judge him for that. But I think he's been pretty consistent this season. While others, you know, when you look at Josh Murphy, who started so well and has faded away, Bobby Reid, who's coming in and out of the team, I think it's, it's, there's, there's no one else, really. No. Um, yeah, I agree with you. With, um, you know, uh, Bobby Reid and Josh uh, Murphy both have done okay. Murphy did well, like you say, at the start of the season, but has faded. Yeah, and I don't know what's happened to him. I really like Murphy, but... Uh, Bobby Reid, I just don't know what yeah. he's done to not be able to play, because he, when, he when he plays, he seems to do pretty well. Um, I mean, the last time he started was against Bournemouth, I think, and he scored twice. Just don't know why he's not so, yeah. getting the game. Yeah. Murphy is so skillful and so fast, but then I think the second half of the season, Mendes Lang has found a bit of form. Yeah. So whether that's coincided with that, I think, you know, we, with the Liverpool game, we really, really, really troubled them down the left hand side, especially yeah, in the first half. Trent Alexander Arnold was put on his ass twice, wasn't he? Um, which was nice to see, really, because he's kind of England's next next big hope and I, I don't think he's very good yeah. in defence. I think he's very good attacking-wise, but I don't think he's a very good defender. No, no, I agree with that. So, with Sunday's game in mind, um, I've seen a few, more than a few, well, I say more than a few, I've seen quite a few uh, Liverpool fans posting pictures and saying they were assaulted or there was violence within the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these incidents seem to be taking place in the home ends. Yeah. What is your opinion of away fans sitting in the home end and openly supporting the away team? Do you think they, you know, they've just got to accept that, that if you're going to do that and you're going to be vocal about it, people are not going to be happy? Yeah. Do you I, look, I don't think anyone wants to see a man beaten up or a man get you know, get injuries from from that kind of thing. But I also think that I I, I remember a few, I, you know I've been a, I've been an away fan in a, a home end before, and you just sit on your hands because you know that football is an incredibly tribal game, and you know that if you stand up and cheer a goal, you're gonna gonna wind someone up, and you don't know what that who that person is or what kind of mood they're in. And I think if he's openly supported, I you know I heard um, a couple of people say that um, he was there was a few fans kind of wandering around singing Liverpool songs in the home end uh, and that kind of thing. I think in that case, you're asking for a reaction, really. Um, and whether that's... Whether the action was disproportionate to the to the offence um, is, is another argument. But I think everybody knows that football is a tribal game. Everyone knows that there's bad blood between Liverpool and Cardiff because of the amount of Liverpool fans who were open about them going in the home end and supporting Liverpool in the home end. And I think if he's acted up enough to cause a reaction, then it's not, it's not that he deserves it, but he was very naive. And I think he uh, doesn't have himself to blame, 
But I think he's got to look at what he's done and appreciate that there was going to be some kind of reaction. Definitely. I know um, a friend of mine, just a Swansea fan, he's been to, I think, about 10 or 12 Cardiff games this year because he gets yeah. tickets through Wolf. Um, and he's never had a problem. You know why he's never had yeah. a problem? He sits there and he just watches the game and doesn't say anything. And that's, you know, and that's... doesn't cause a problem, doesn't draw no. attention to and I think that's, you know, that's the thing, right? And I don't, I don't, I, I go away with Cardiff and, I, you know, I, I, you know, I try and be as friendly as I can when I go away. You know, we were walking through Burnley a couple of Saturdays ago and we were talking to people quite openly because, you know, we're not, we're not, you know, we're not idiots. We don't go up there to rub people up the wrong way. We go to watch football matches. And I think if you're, if you're going, you know, and I think there is an element of football fans who go into the home end or go somewhere where they know that they can expressly rub people up the wrong way. And that's, that to me is where uh, where you're going to find trouble. If you go in, the, like I think when we played Liverpool back when we had the red kit and we lost six three, I ended up sat next to a Liverpool fan that day, and he he kind of I think we went one 0 up, it went one all. They might have gone two one up or something like that. I can't remember how the scores went. And he stood up and cheered. And as he sat down, he said, "I shouldn't have done that." And I said, "No, of course you shouldn't have done that." And like I didn't, you know, I didn't I didn't go any further than that. But there was enough to have an argument between us, and he just couldn't really understand what he'd done wrong. And I think that's the, the difference, really. Yeah, it's the, and that's, the, that's it, isn't it? I, it's like, as you're almost saying, like, I'm not saying that they deserved to have a slap or a yeah. scuffle, but use your brain at the end yeah. of the day. And especially, you know, and I don't, I don't glorify this kind of stuff often, but Cardiff, are, you know, we don't have the nicest reputation in the world as football fans. No. And, you know, I think especially against Liverpool fans who also, you know, I think um, are known for being a little, little spicy themselves. I think, I, you know, I've gone up to Anfield a few times and their fans are, are happy to go to you in the streets and that kind of thing. So I think, I just think it was a, a perfect cocktail, really, of a, an important game for both sides. Things got out of hand. And I think, you know, as much as, and I, I do probably think that there might have been, these, ten, these things tend to happen when there's a sluggishness from, security stewards to get involved and, and sort it out really and I think I, you know I don't want to be too critical of the club but earlier this year when we played Arsenal there were Arsenal fans in the home end and it, some of them yeah. were wearing some of them were wearing Arsenal shirts and the stewards just told them to keep that keep just scored sorry sorry to interrupt you Tottenham just scored with two minutes to go what are they scored four minutes ago two minutes into injury time now and then it's, uh, it's worth the Spurs get it. <laughs> that's good news that is good news yeah Sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, it's just I, there was there was Arsenal fans in the home end of the game um, earlier this season, and in, instead of really, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to spoil anyone's day, but they shouldn't be in there really wearing those shirts. And the no, stewards told not. the stewards told them just keep your head down. But it's like you you you're not protecting these people because it's not up to them to keep their head down. If there's someone in there who's taken offence to it, they're going to act out on their own. So I just think. I think there's football. Football. Football has become a sport where you can't really, you can't really mix in the stands as fans because I, I don't think that's necessarily the fans' fault originally. I think it's, it's, it's something that's been exacerbated by the the segregation over the years. And I think by not, I just think the stewards are probably slow to deal with something, and and the fans just had their own kind of, you know, vigilante justice. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Um, so just to finish off, we'll just move away from Cardiff slightly. Um, mm-hmm. Who would you like to see win the league, and who do you think will win the league? 
having just said all that, um, I wouldn't mind Liverpool winning the league. Um, I think I. My heart says Liverpool will win the league, and my head says Man City will win the league. Um, Man City are just ruthless. I just don't think you can, you know, Guardiola has his team set up to be so relentlessly attacking that no matter what you do, they will always find a way to score. They're set up to do that. Liverpool, I would quite like them to win the league because I don't mind Klopp. I think Klopp's a, a bit of a character. He he plays football in the right way. I think, you know, Salah's a very good footballer. I think Mane's a very good footballer. Um, you know, Jordan Henderson, I don't really like him as a person, but he he tries his best and he's he's done a good job there. Um, Van Dijk is obviously, the I think he's the best defender in the world. And I just think it would be a nice change, really, than than watching Man City steamroller their way to the league just to have a bit of variation in it. Um, but whether that happens, I don't know. What about you? Who do you think is going to win? I've got a nasty feeling that Liverpool are going to win the league, but I've got to be honest. I cannot think of anything worse. As much as I, as much as I'd like to see different teams win it um, from the usual, I cannot. I don't think I'll be able to cope with Liverpool winning it. I just envisage envisage it being like when England won the World Cup, and they'll be just everywhere talking about it forever, and you never hear the end of it. Yeah. But on the other. On the other um, sort of side of it, I think that Liverpool, from my friends who are Liverpool fans, I'd be happy for them. Yeah. Um, they've been put through it. And I think they've probably been the best team over the year so far, but I do well, not want them to win. They've lost one game this season, right? Which is phenomenal, really. Um, yes, incredible, isn't it? I do, I do, I do know what you mean. I think you know, you'll never hear the end of it. Klopp will probably have a statue put up by of him by before the season's finished. Um, you know, you're, I think everyone. I, I, and the thing that gets me is that the narrative is like, oh, everyone wants every neutral wants Liverpool to win and that kind of thing. And I don't think that's the case. But I just think, you know, I think in terms of competitiveness, I think it would be nice to see Liverpool win the league for that sense. And like you said, I've got Liverpool supporting friends from up and around that way, and I think. They've had a couple of seasons where they've run it close and that kind of thing. And I think if it's if this is the year they win it, then so be it. And let's just hope they never win it again after this year. Yeah. So <clears throat> some would say we're now seeing the uh, the Cardiff City version of uh, Oli Gunasolska in uh, terms of his organisation tactics. Do you think he'll succeed at United, or will he be gone in a couple of years? Absolutely not. I don't think he's ever going to succeed. Um, at United, I think, I think he came in and did well, but I wonder if that was truly down to him and truly down to you know the players kind of realizing they had to do something. Um, I think he's, I think he's kind of making a rod for his own back because if they don't get into the Champions League this year, you've got to look at Pogba, you've got to look at De Gea. Um, are they going to stick around for a season of going to places like Ludogorets in the in the Europa League? Probably not. Um, and then if those players go, then who do you attract to replace them? And how do you carry on playing the way you do? I think, when, when was he appointed? I don't think he'll be sacked this year. I think he'll be given the summer. But I think if he's not, if he's not pushing them into the top two, I, I just don't, I just don't, as, as a Man United fan, you're not going to abide anything but success. After the years you've had under Ferguson, 
And I think if things aren't going well around Christmas time next year, then the fans aren't going to have any patience for him. And I think he'll he'll be sent packing because you, you're Man United. Who you know who could you have? You could have people like Allegri, Tuchel. You could have whoever's the next version of Klopp looking to manage you. There's there's a dozen managers who are world class who would walk into that job. And frankly, I just don't think Solskjaer is world class. Admittedly, I'm biased because he was so bad when he was with us. But I just I just don't see him succeeding. He's just he he looks a bit lost already. Do you see him after the game against Everton at the weekend? Do you? How do you fix this? I don't really know that kind of thing. He just already looks like he's kind of losing his grip on it. Yeah, I think <clears throat> the problem they've got is they haven't sold the dead wood that's been there since Fergie was there. Um, but, and I think that all the players at the game when Mourinho got sacked, which gave a bit of a false, false yeah. read in where they were at. <clears throat> I think they need, a lot, they need a lot of players in, they need a lot of players out. And if they don't back him and they don't get uh, some sort of technical director in who's going to make the decisions of transfers, because at the moment the people who are making their decisions on transfers are not football people. So that's always, always going to be a problem until that's sorted. I think so. And I I think that's probably more of a problem in the long run, really, than the manager is. You've got Ed Woodward, who seems to be completely clueless in what he's doing. You've not got anyone there like, you know, I think Liverpool have a technical director who makes their signings or, or, um, or you know, and that seems to work for them. So either Man United need to modernise to get with it or they need a complete overhaul of Woodward downwards, really, to, to fix it. So, uh, Premier League, last, just to finish off, uh, who do you think is the Premier League Player of the Year and the Young Player of the Year? Premier League Player of the Year... Um, They've done, they've done the nominations, haven't they? I think I don't think you can really look beyond Aguero or Mane for Player of the Year. I think Mane's had a, a breakout season. I think he's got almost 20 goals, which is more than he's ever got any, any season before. And I think Sergio Aguero is probably the best striker the Premier League's ever seen. Um, I don't really, you know, I think he's better than Henri. I think he's better than Owen and Shearer. The guy is just a complete forward. In terms of young Player of the Year, I don't really know. It's, it's under 24, isn't it? Um, I don't really know. I, I don't really know what players are. I think Robertson at Liverpool's had a good season, the, the left-back. Um, I don't think he's in the running for it. But, um, Full-back Palace, I think, um, think is probably in with the Oh, Juan Bissaka. Yeah. yeah, he's yeah. had a really good season. Um, but yeah, young players. Did... Go on. Luke Shaw's had a good season, but I'm not sure if he's too old now for the young player of the year. It's like a, might be. It's, it's a really young... Um, you have to be 24 at the start of the season, or under 23 at the start of the season to be in the running for it. Um, yeah, because Raheem Sterling and Bernardo Silva are on the list for this year's award, which That's mad. seems unfair, really, because Raheem Sterling... I think Raheem Sterling should be out of the year, I do. I, I wouldn't... I, you know, I wouldn't disagree with that, actually. I, I did miss him out, but he has just been phenomenal this year and all the, the rubbish he has to put up with away from the pitch as well. I think he's he's a very dignified and a very good footballer. Yeah, and funnily enough, I've mentioned him a few times on previous shows, just by the way he handles himself for such a young guy who's under yeah. so much pressure and the vile stuff that he has had to put up with. I think he handles it tremendously well. Um, yeah. And you can see why players who are not able to handle it as well as he has can crumble 
under the similar circumstance. For sure. But yes, unfortunately, it's the world we live in. Yeah. But I mean, there was all those rumours about him a few years back when he was with Liverpool that, you know, he had like eight kids with eight different mothers and all this yeah. sort of crap. And, Completely you know, unfounded. And like the way he's, he, I like that he's called out the media as well for their portrayal of like young black players making it out like they're just all about like bling and this and that instead of focusing on all the, you know, the majority of fo- professional footballers, Premier League footballers, do a lot for charity and the local communities at the clubs yeah. they're at. So how I about so. focus on that instead? Yeah, it's, I just think it's it's cheap from the the press, isn't it? It's it's a cheap way to generate clicks, a cheap way to generate people talking about them, and I just think it's it's completely unfounded on uh, against people like Sterling who are just you know trying to get on with their lives, basically. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so uh, thanks so much for joining me to talk some footy, Ben. I appreciate it massively. My uh, tell people where they can uh, where they can find you on the Twitter machine and about your podcast. Yeah, so um, there's two Twitter accounts. Mine is at View from the Nin, and then if you want to follow the the official website and podcast, it's VFTN Ninian. Um, you can find it there, and if you want to go in and check out what we're writing about, go to viewfromthenin.com. Cool. Okay. Uh, so, guys, you can find me on at AceCast underscore Nation on Twitter. Uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell for notifications. You can follow and like us on Facebook. We're under Ace Podcast Nation, where you can give us feedback, get involved, make suggestions for guests and shows and subjects. Thanks again, Ben. Uh, nice one to the people. Thank you very much to the people who've listened and uh, watched. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.